0: To infinity and beyond. We're going to talk about space travel and nuclear power. And yes, I know that quote, that line comes from Buzz Lightyear in the movie Toy Story. I know that. Maybe I should have started with that iconic, these are the voyages of the starship. Anyway, because if you're a student of all things to do with space travel... Here to tell you, it's always about energy, the combination of gravity and distance, the need to survive to get there in some length of time. That's during one's lifespan. It's always about energy. That's a lot. You can learn a lot about energy realities through the lens of something like uh, rocket ships and aircraft. That's why we're going to talk in this episode with someone who knows a lot about spaceships and jets. And I'll confess for doing that because, you know, well, I, I love those subjects and I'm kind of jealous of our guest. Terry Wirtz, who has done in life things that I've only dreamt of doing, from flying supersonic jets as an Air Force pilot to going into space as an astronaut, not once, but many times. In fact, was commander of the International Space Station. And Terry has written a book, a fun book, titled How to Astronaut. So we want to talk to Terry about nuclear energy in China, going into space in Russia. You, you know, the interesting thing for me about the future is... Where you spent a lot of your career, of course, is uh, getting into space. <laughs> Everybody yeah. who who did who doesn't love space travel uh, At least, I should say. Those of us who fall in the the sphere of dweebs who <laughs> you know grew up in the early space program days and thought about being fighter pilots and astronauts like you like you did. So uh, uh, we haven't talked about this, but I'm curious what what uh, led you to that path. I mean, why, why did you become a, a 15 pilot and then an astronaut? Cause exactly. uh, it's not, we're not, we're not doing, we're gonna talk about energy in this show for sure. Eventually we're not gonna talk about how horrible the world is and all the crises we have to solve, Absolutely. but we'll do something much more exciting, I think, which is the promise of the future. But, you know, that's a, a pretty interesting choice. A curious what led you to led you to that. You know,
1: I, when I think back when I was a little kid, probably four or five years old, first book I ever read was about Apollo. And I, I have this memory of this cardboard black and white book and I, there were astronauts were going to the moon. And I thought, man, that looks really cool. So I, I don't, I guess it was just genetic. Like I just really <laughs> liked space travel. And so when I grew up, I had poster, you know, all these posters on my wall were rockets and I had a F-16, the old red, white and blue,
0: yeah.
1: uh, 1974 F- F-16, YF-16A. Um, I had a space shuttle. I had a poster of Columbia, the all white external tank, the first couple yep. flights were white. And, um, I just loved it. And I was lucky too. Cause my parents, uh, they didn't like, they weren't astronauts or pilots or anything, but they supported me and they knew I liked it. So, you know, they, I got a telescope when I was probably in middle school. So 10 or 11 or 12 or something. And, and, but they didn't know, they didn't really know anything about this stuff. So I had to learn how to use it myself, but, um,
0: Pretty cool. Well, we're, as they say, brothers by another mother. Because I had, I was an amateur astronomer as a kid. I had, I had oh, a right. telescope, and yeah. my parents encouraged my interest. And I was, uh, my 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 room was plastered with um, uh, posters. Of yeah. course, I'm I'm a little older than you, so my posters were plastered of the Gemini and Mercury programs because that was what was immediately behind. And lived grew up in the Apollo era, watching you know the first moon landing, and thinking about you know uh, because I. As as a young immortal, I raced motorcycles briefly, Grand Prix, and I like engine. I like I like going fast, and I wanted to. I had a motorcycle. Yeah, see, so I wanted to. I wanted to fly uh, fighter jets when I graduated with my degree in physics. There were no jobs. I thought, well, I'll just join the air force, and Mm -hmm. and as we've talked about earlier, I was that would been I would have been flying Phantoms at that time. Yeah which were just beasts.
1: (laughs) I asked for that at a pilot training. That was my number one choice. They still had F4Gs for like a few months after I graduated. I I didn't get, I got an F-16, so I did not complain. (laughs) It's a cool cool airplane.
0: And you know, the the thing about airplanes and rocket ships, which is uh, what's relevant to the universe that you and I work in these days, which is the energy. I mean, making airplanes go fast, is all about materials and energy and power. Getting rockets into space, going to the moon, going to Mars—really big energy problem, energy materials problem because of mm-hmm. materials to keep people alive, you know, the food mm-hmm. and fuel, materials to protect them from the uh, predations of uh, <laughs> of mm-hmm. outer space. Yeah, and uh, and but it's power—it's about power and energy. Uh, mm-hmm. But before we go into rockets and, and and space, nuclear power and all kinds of cool stuff, since you, you you have lots of friends in that community, I want to know what's going on with ISS uh, and its future. Given that the Russians, not we're not going to go down the Russia Ukraine rabbit hole, but everybody yeah. knows how grotesque that is. But so Russia's pulled out; said so they're going to pull out of ISS. Yeah. But does that? My read is it doesn't. I mean, it's the International Space Station for those listeners who are not cognoscenti but how about what ISS is? Mm -hmm. So they pulled out, they were partners. That was one of the great Cold War victories was to finally partner with Russia. And as you know better than I do, we use their engines there to get our astronauts in orbit for a long time because they have great, great rocket engines, but no more. Uh, And now they're pulling out of the space station because, you know, they invaded Ukraine and we sanctioned them. So, but I just read that that, Pull out doesn't mean like tomorrow, or is that wrong? They, they're withdrawing by twenty twenty four or something like that.
1: Yeah, they they said it was kind of funny, Mark, because I actually wrote an op ed. I wrote an op ed on February twenty fourth that said, "Man, have they crossed the line that goes too far?" And yeah. Then I wrote I wrote another one about a month ago or two months ago um, that basically said they have crossed the line that's go, going too far, and that we actually should actively disengage from Russia. Um, yeah. You can't just cut them off tomorrow, but you can stop flying American astronauts on Soyuz and stop flying Russian astronauts okay. on SpaceX, and and I said I said on February twenty fourth we need to build a propulsion module because they have rocket engines on the ISS that reboost it, and you can't operate the station without those thrusters.
0: Yeah. And we need we so have so, to understand that's because yeah. the orbit degrades, and you don't want to yeah. think falling back. It does falling back to Earth. Yeah. And there's the, even though you're in quote space, that altitude there's still friction. Because you're really yep. you're not really you're you're not in a true vacuum in the sense of interstellar right. space. So there's still some atmosphere. It's really,
1: yeah. really, really you would die instantly if you take your helmet off. It's, <laughs> well, it's a, yeah, like yeah. duh. <laughs> yeah. Well, the the station actually drops a few meters per day. It depends on solar activity. When there's sun flares, that yeah, pushes the atmosphere exp- out. expands yeah. the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah.
0: Right. And then it then it drags you down. So I didn't realize it was a few meters per day. Oh baby.
1: Yeah. It's meters that, per day. At that altitude. We'd have maybe a year, or you know, it depends on the sun activity. But
0: so, how often do the do you do uh altitude adjustment? The thrusters have to fire to maintain a- every it? couple months, maybe.
1: Um, yeah. it's not like every week, but it's yeah. mul- multiple times per year you get reboosted. So, so my op ed basically said, Look, you know, if it's 1941, are we going to go on an Arctic expedition with German scientists? Um, I'm don't sure they don't. That- so. I'm yep. sure the German scientists are good guys and that, you know, they want to learn and, but, you know, but that's not the point. It's not that they're good guys. It's their government is their government. It's a, it's a bad, it's a bad signal. It's the bad optics. I agree. So the day after my op-ed came out in the Hill, uh, Dmitry Rogozin, who's the, I have, I could talk about him. I, I know him personally. He walked me out to my Soyuz when I launched from wow. on their rocket. He's a tell everybody tell who, who Dmitry Rogozin is. So yeah. the, our audience knows he, he was the deputy prime minister. He's like, our age he's not not a really old guy um well, thank you um, for that he's <laughs> <laughs> go ahead he's not like one foot in the grave um yeah. but he uh he he got demoted from that and he ended up being the chief of the space agency the russian <laughs> space <agency.
0: laughs> uh, the motion to, to, i know for me that'd
1: be a promotion right well but, for me too but yeah. yeah for him when you're the deputy when you're when you're mike pence it's a demotion right so and yep. actually we had an emergency when I was in space and he called us and said, Hey, Americans, you can work together. And um, this, and I, I was there during Crimea during sanctions in uh-huh. 2014, 20, I watched bombs going off in the Donbass from the space station with my Russian cosmonaut friend. We literally one night, it was winter 2015 watching these red flashes in Eastern Ukraine. And then my colleague, three of them, three cosmonauts I flew with, left the space agency to join the Duma and promote the war and vote for the war. And it's the most disappointing, Jeez. it's the most yeah. disappointing thing. So anyway, so I said, look, it's time for us to, and by the way, my opinion is not NASA's opinion. They have a very, oh, very yeah. different, very different opinion than mine. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Um, and the next day he got fired. So I, <laughs> I'm sure nobody cares about my op-ed. It didn't have anything, but I was, you know, I'll take credit for it. <laughs> but the reason they got fired is because, um Russia's like look all these other bad things are happening let's at least try and salvage our space program and he had been bombastic we're leaving by 2024 and i i have friends in energia in and the, and they're and they said don't don't worry it's not going to happen that quick it's not don't be so fat you know they were just they were just making yeah. noise. i think they're realizing that they don't have anything to do besides the space station so if they don't stay with that there's no more russian space program so I don't think this is a really
0: long answer. I don't think it's going to happen that quickly. Well, I, yeah, to your point, um, but let's just set aside one of the uh, great victories of the space program, other than being uh, just exciting fundamentally. And there, I mean, we've had debates since the dawn of the space program, as you know, and for those who haven't read it, you can, f- you can find it in Dr. Google about spending money in space versus spending money on Earth for right. homeless and all this stuff. And it's a, it's a silly debate, in my view. Not that it's not serious that they spend money on social programs. It's a silly debate because humans have always uh, been able to do both. It's like, you know, you can pat your stomach and rub your head. This is, you do both. Yeah, yeah there you go. We had video running. We That's could see. Difficult. The, I'm what trying. A, what a real F 16 pilot can do. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the, uh, you know, but the Russians, you know, the engagement that we got with Russia, with the Soviet Union at the time, was was not nothing. These are what these are back channel ways to not only open keep an open communication with counterparties who are not necessarily our friends politically, not talking with the people. Right. And one of the you quote dirty little secrets, it's not it's an open secret about space engagement, has always been a back channel, that it's a way right. not only to keep us in conversation with people who are not politically our friends. But to get messages to senior people in ways that can sometimes calm down a hot situation, to lose that is, is a, a true loss. That, mm. that, that being said, I agree with you that our government has to send the right signal if your analogy is the right one. 1941, you wouldn't be uh, engaging in a full uh, full uh, scientific exploration with German scientists any more than we should do with Russian scientists right now. Right. But the you know the the Russians don't have a lot of choices, and they're, they're putting out. It's in the news just a few days ago that they want to partner with China now to do their own independent space station. The Chinese certainly have the capability uh, financially and probably technologically. Look what they've done uh, to get to get there, and they're going to go to the moon. And so we are an NASA administrator, our current administrator, and I'm not I'm not saying this to get him in trouble or beat up on him. He doesn't. But he, he, you know he has said, and I think it's correct that we're in a space race with. Not Russia now, but with China. Mm-hmm. With China's announcement, they want to put a colony on the moon, yeah, a working colony, and you know they could they could do it before us. It's possible, uh, especially if yeah. they put put the money into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that good? Well, I don't know. I, I mean, I kind of rather do it collaboratively than competitively in some senses, but uh, it does worry me a little bit that we're heating we're heating everything back up to old sort of pre-Cold War status uh, and the space program may not, may not benefit from that. It may actually suffer from it.
1: You know, the, the competition debate is age old, you know, without the Yankees, the Red Sox, aren't going (laughs) to work work that hard. And exactly. There's, there's something to be said for competition. Um, and china is definitely the future it's not russia there's no innovation yeah. you know russia's russia's <laughs> where i launched up from the same launch pad that yuri gagarin launched from um, oh, that's cool from that's, the,
0: that's, yeah.
1: yeah it was really cool actually yeah. i loved i love my time in russia i love spending time with russians i have a lot of great russian friends um i i, I it, it really pains me to see what's happened there but the reality is that just their culture, the the kleptocracy that Putin has the future is not Russia. the future no, is, the no. future is China and um and the and the Chinese vision of the future is not one where we all hold hands and have democracy and no, we're all equal co-partners. they see themselves as being the the dominant number one and um
0: well, it's I mean uh, you one would expect that they would adopt in fact, they publicly has said this their uh, foreign minister's view of space is the same as their view of Taiwan and Hong Kong right. Uh, it's not not it, it, they don't share our um our long-term vision as you and and I I think the reality is we w- we are now and will be in competition with China for whatever happens with regard to the moon and who knows Mars right. they might they might chase Mars but I want to come back to the space station so here's yeah. the, here's the really important question this is we talked about Tom Cruise in the new movie mm-hmm. and <laughs> you know you I mean you gotta love Tom Cruise you probably I said to you that Funny little, yeah. <laughs> Photoshop of Tom Cruise in 2058 with yeah. Top Gun Three. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> it's really. But here's the thing. He he's announced, at least in January before the before the before the news got occupied by Russian invasion, yeah. that they're going to build a module. The contract to I guess Axiom in outside of Houston to build yep. a module for the space station, to put up space studio. Yeah, in space. So he can shoot weightless stuff instead of the Vomit Comet for you know was it twenty five seconds a yeah. weightlessness thirty yeah. seconds you can you're going to be weightless so right. I mean good for him but is it going to happen do you think are they actually going to build it and put it up there um, well Axiom is building
1: modules they they want to yeah. they're one of two or three companies building private space station they're going to build theirs on the ISS yeah. and then yeah. once it's ready they're going to detach it. So, I think that's going to happen. Will the studio itself happen? You know, that is millions, tens of millions of yeah. dollars to build that yeah. module. Yeah, but they spend $400 million making a movie. So, you know, the seat to get each person there is 55 million. So, it's not uh-huh. that you have to build it, <laughs> you have to maintain it, and then just to send people to and from. And the module I saw, it was a big, round, yeah. uh, kind it's a of big
0: inflatable ball, right? It's just, yeah. A, but yeah. it doesn't,
1: I don't think it had windows. If you put windows in and it, it's going to make it very complicated and expensive. So if all you, all, the only thing you're going to get from that is um, floating shots floating, is floating, floating. Yeah. but you can film floating on the, I'm, I'm in, I've yeah. been talking with zero G company yeah. to film some projects on their uh, vomit comet uh, on the airplane and
0: to get A lot cheaper. Them, yes. it's two.
1: <laughs> it's two or three zeros cheaper.
0: <laughs> I know. So, and if you really wanted to make a, a, a bigger vomit comet, just uh, buy a uh, a used seven four seven. It's got a or bigger. Or a three eighty, yeah, or a three eighty, or yeah. you know maybe the Ukraines will start rebuilding their um, the the uh, the Andropov. What is it? The
1: Antonov. Uh, Antonov. The Antonov. The Russians just destroyed the one. The there. factory. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, but uh, no, I mean it's 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 funny news, but because, yeah. but uh, but you're right. I mean, actually, what your, your point about the space studio is a point I've made for many decades about space solar power. Uh, is that uh, people have imagined the first energy crisis period, the 70s 73 mm-hmm. through 79, um, it, it caused an eruption of goofy ideas about how to produce energy, right? Geothermal energy, space, right? S- space solar power, right. Next generation nukes, uh, salt, you know, winds, uh, all kinds of stuff, and uh. And for those who've never seen it, you can find it. It's a 1979 National Geographic published their first and only ever special edition of the magazine. Oh, wow. instead of a monthly magazine, it published a special edition on the future of energy. So if you find that issue, I kept mine, uh-huh. you'll find that the language sounds almost identical. And all the ideas are almost identical, not quite identical to everything that's being said today. Different uh-huh. reason then they were, they, they thought we were running out of energy. Now we, mm-hmm. we, we shouldn't burn hydrocarbons, but that the reasons don't matter it's all about replacing hydrocarbons because they're going to be gone. Then now we'd use too many, but the space solar power, I always made the most fun of for the very simple reason. If you did the economic arithmetic, right. Assume future space travels cheaper, but the gravity, right. well, how many tons of stuff do I have to put in orbit at a cost per ton to beam energy back to earth with microwaves versus just build more tons of stuff on earth, put up with the lower, uh, you know, the cyclicality, just build more of it here. Right. You you can't, you couldn't come up with no matter how imaginative you were, you couldn't come up with a a ratio, a scenario where it wasn't just at least 10 times more like a hundred times more expensive to, to do the space solution.
1: Right. Well, there's a similar thing, uh, mark on, on the moon, you know, we're, we want to go visit the South Aitken Basin, the South pole of the moon, yeah. there's some permanently yeah. shadowed craters yeah. and there's yeah. a lot, there's water in there from comets yeah. fly by and the tails yeah. are water and they get deposited, yeah. but it's 40 degrees Kelvin. So it's minus 400 Fahrenheit. <laughs> it's crazy cold.
0: Yeah, I think that's, yeah, exactly. And if you step into shadow, you're not, you're, you're just a, you're essentially close to absolute zero for l- functional l- purpose. Like
1: Christmas story, right? Don't yeah. put your tongue on the pole. Um <laughs> <laughs> it's buried under meters of regolith, which is the fancy term for dirt. Yeah. And that, and that moon dirt is nasty. It's like crushed glass. It's really bad dirt. And so there is water there, but you have to build an army of robots that, that have to get, get the water out from 40 degrees Kelvin. Yeah, And then you have to clean it and purify it, you know, get all the moon dust out. Um, and then you have to build a Kennedy space center on the moon and, yep. um, to ha- and rockets have to land there and then yeah. refuel and take off so it seems like it would just be cheaper to send the fuel from earth uh
0: but <laughs> or i mean or, who knows yeah. maybe in the future but well the uh, the thing that is in our in our nearer future however is that, as you know the uh moon base and mars base uh will need power and solar arrays just won't get you enough power they can run radios and yeah. you know recharge batteries for for you know ch- cheesy little rovers but if you really want power to process stuff or keep people alive for a long time or yeah. make oxygen you need nukes you're going to be you know, you're going to be putting yeah. nuclear reactors on the moon and nuclear reactors on mars mm-hmm. so it's kind of exciting to me i mean the linkage that 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 has relevance to what's going on on earth is that we've learned enough about uh the material science mostly and the physics of reactors and how to simulate them now modern computers supercomputers can simulate a design and make a essentially a, a a fake one in silico before you have to build a real one. So we we now are on the cusp of really clever reactor designs, ones that are small, you know, megawatt class, kilowatt class, right. you know, reactors that can run a not just a moon base but we could run a data center, we could run a, a small right. village. That whole universe of technology, just you know, as you read even on a cursory basis. It's just bubbling up with very creative ideas. I mean, there's a couple of SpaceX engineers, as you probably know, left SpaceX to start a company called Radiant. They they want to make a megawatt class con- containerized, sized, you know, helium, high temperature helium gas reactor. Good on them. I mean, have they got some angel funding. Uh, it's not crazy idea anymore. Mm-hmm. So both the Army and NASA, as you know, have funded some preliminary programs to make the small reactors. Yeah you know, th- those, those will work. I mean, they'll, they'll make them work. The trick will be, can we make them cheap if we start producing them in factories? And mm-hmm. I think that's not, that's probably the single most interesting energy mm-hmm. vector for the relatively near future of anything anybody's talking about.
1: Yeah. A company I'm working for doing consulting for the, they have a guy there that's into nukes and hit micro nuclear or that. <laughs> right. he, he is a big proponent and there's some really promising things. The, the, the fuel lasts forever, you know, not forever, but a long time, very, very small amount of, uh, very small amount of, uh, waste made and, you know, they're containerized or very, very little maintenance. There's a lot of, there's a lot of good things to say about that. And like you said, talking about space, that's what you need. I, the oh, last, yeah. the last book, my how to astronaut book, there's a 51 <laughs> chapters of different aspects of space flight. And one of them is how do you get to Mars Yeah, and having nuclear power is a big part of that, um basically essay I wrote for a couple of things. You need it once you're on the ground,
0: just to keep, just to run the air conditioner and, you know, for the astronaut, but you got to get there faster. This, 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 yeah. a, this eight month trip is a no is a non-starter. It's a no-go. You just can't be doing I, it. I think it's a non,
1: that's exactly yeah. what I think. Um, yeah. because it, it's
0: not the eight month trip. It's the three year trip because well, it's a total, it, it, yeah, the total, yeah, the total round trip because your windows yeah. t- every two years, you got this Yeah, Crazy. I think most people, if they don't understand it, they can think about it, right? You know this, but since everything, the planets are moving and you want to get there with the the least amount of energy. You're you're coasting. So you have to do all the geometry to figure out when your window is to get from Earth to the closest approach to Mars. That close approach doesn't happen constantly. If you don't want to do it that way, you need to accelerate the whole time. You don't accelerate drift at high speed. You just push it, which means you need a nuke. Right. right you could you can go down.
1: Propulsion. yeah yeah
0: you can go down to a 100 day transit instead of a eight months so that the round trip is no longer three years in space mm-hmm. which increases your chance of something failing and then everybody dying or it increases your chance of a solar f- flare killing yeah. everybody I mean it's just but or the just radiation. Project. You don't. Yeah. Need
1: to, there's going to be radiation. You know that. Oh, and, oh it's constant. Yes. And, and you know it's tens of thousands of dollars a pound in low Earth orbit. SpaceX just raised the cost by fifty percent. By the way, <laughs> it's, good, <laughs> it's good to have a. It's good to have a monopoly. Um, <laughs> that's okay. in Earth orbit. To go yeah, to the moon, good. you add a zero, right? It's yeah. hundreds of thousands. And to go to Mars, it's going to be a million dollar. I've done. You just go on Wikipedia, Google the mass of the landers we have on Mars ver- yeah. divided by the cost, you know, a million dollars a pound An extra two years of food and underwear is a lot of dollars, right? That's a lot yeah, of, yeah. it's well, a lot of I, expense. Yeah. yeah. It's it,
0: there. just no other, well, can you, can you mention the name of the company maybe you may not want to that you're doing consulting for on the micro nukes. Is that, um,
1: well, we're actually the, my, this was just a discussion, I, I work oh, for okay. NOV is, is uh, the part-time Right. But th- they don't have a micro nuke program, but there's one of the guys at the company that's interested in these. You know, they they, they do everything like every lot of oil and gas stuff, sure. offshore wind. They make offshore platforms. And so you can take that offshore platform and stick a windmill on it. And so oh, you can take the offshore it, platform and of, stick
0: a nuke on it. This would be much better. You
1: I, <laughs> I'm just saying, right? But there's a you, we're, we're really looking at lots of different energy techniques right now. Um so
0: my two cents and 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 I and I won't charge you for this. <laughs> Is that freaking, yeah. Yeah, If I were if I were advising I have, but if I am advising energy companies that want to Put their profits to work for the future because oil and gas companies are making more money again. Nobody cared when they right. were losing money when oil priced right. negatively briefly. Nobody was crying crocodile tears for the oil companies. Right. Now that they make a profit again, they got out of the hole. They want to you know claw back the profits. But whatever, uh, politics aside, you got money, you want to spend it. There's probably no better place with higher leverage than mini and micro nukes. I mean, if mm-hmm. if if consortia of companies got together and said, we, you know. The government's moving too slow on this stuff. Mm-hmm. We'll do it. We'll 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 uh, run a contest the way DoD runs contests. We'll we'll do the contest. Right. We'll do a pro. You, you know, DoD, you run your contest. The Army, you are running contest. We're going to run our own contest. We mm-hmm. we want we want two classes of nukes. We want to let's pick it. Let's say uh, ha, you know ha, a megawatt class and a fifty megawatt class. The two two sort of sizes. Whereas the one megawatt class has one utility function. Obviously, the 50 megawatts perfect for factories, data centers, you know, mm-hmm. uh, mine sites. Just think of a power cement. Plant. Yeah, steel, a lot of things need that. Yeah. yeah. So you have a power plant that has an on-off switch and runs for 20 years on a fuel load. I mean, mm-hmm. okay, what's not to love about that? And we're not we're not centuries away from doing that. We're when the sun doesn't shine and when the wind doesn't blow and yeah, when there's a freeze,
1: when there's a the mat- when there's a hurricane, the the you matter. just build it right. You're if you, Stick you it in mean, the ground
0: under underground. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is this is where the, the future really does lie. Where um, there has been uh, we'll call it episodic and anemic funding from the government in this space. Uh, when when NASA funds it, it's that's great. But NASA's needs are, I, I do think they push the envelope of the of engineering physics for sure because they really have such radical constraints. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you produce solutions that are really only useful in space. I mean, just right because right your conditions are so unique. Right, there's gravity here, <laughs> and you know. So that's
1: one condition that that you know is different.
0: Well, it makes and there's air. Yeah, fluid. You know. fluid
1: flows work differently when you have gravity than when you don't. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. We did combustion physics was a big thing, and it's really cool to see things burn in space. They burn in balls. We call them flame balls. Yeah on earth they the flames go yeah. up because there's convection. Yeah. you know heat rises and the, there's no heat rising so actually um there was a there was a funny line in the martian about this it's really hard to make things burn like when you watch gravity and these disaster movies and everything's on fire yeah. and exploding yeah. like nothing burns in space first of all everything is flame proof yeah uh, mark mark watney was trying i forgot he was trying to cook something right. and he was like
0: Damn it! Nothing burns up here. Yeah, like, yeah well, he got that right. Watney really understood yeah. the engineering of yeah. 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 Well, also then, the the the, yeah. the flame the flame propagation when you have gravity, it it can yeah. suck the oxygen out of the the, the fuel available to the local space and just extinguishes itself. On Earth,
1: when you have convection, that creates oxygen moves in yeah. to fill in. Yeah. You know, it, it creates a constant flow of oxygen. Yeah. You need oxygen to burn in space it burns in a ball and then it's done it it sucks all the oxygen out of the local area yeah. so if something catches on fire in space it doesn't last long unless you have unless it's feeding it so the emergency if you push the fire button on the on the emergency panel it cuts off all the fans because if you have fans blowing that could that could feed a fire and if you stop the fans um it stops the fire
0: it's pretty you know this is the the fascinating thing about uh the the physics of I mean is a, a perfect example of where you would design, if you design a system that works in space, it's not going to work. It may not work on earth and vice versa at all. I mean, the the, the airflow, fluid flows, absence of gravity, mm-hmm. of course, you can take advantage of the absence of gravity, as you well know, to do other things that are clever, but in the end, the thing that I hope will happen. And, I, and this is where it almost takes a, a consortium of, uh, what's the word I want to use? Uh, not innovators, but uh, you know, doing what you're doing. I mean, people who are in, and what I'm doing, in the explaining game or the, you know, the, the public policy game where you're trying to advise companies and governments, so what, what should we do? Because one of the most common questions I get, and I'm sure you get it as well, and you and I have talked about this, is when I explain the reality of energy and what you can't do, what people think they're doing, that You know, electric cars are going to eliminate oil use, They're not, Mm -hmm. you know, they're just, they're just not because you have to do something else, which is dig up, you know, lithium and cobalt and nickel. But then the question is using coal-fired power plants. And well, not a coal-fired power plants, oil-fired machines, because you can't make a, you can't dig up a 20 ton pile of rock with a battery-powered machine 24 hours a day. It's just, you've got use oil. No, but I mean, the point, and then you have to process it. With with coal-fired electricity. In and, China, right. Yeah, in China, right. and they use metallurgical coal to make that, and they right. use natural gas to make the, anyway. Right. So you tell people yeah. that the most common response would be, all right, okay, you've convinced me this is not the solution to replacing hydrocarbons. What is? It's all There's always, which is what right. you're engaged in, I think with NLV, where everybody is trying right. to answer the question. All right, if you're being honest, about the solutions that are being proffered, they aren't going to solve any particular problems that are being presented. Which is, we we need more energy, and we need more yeah. energy without burning more stuff. What's the alternative? And the answer is all mine is always the same. You can't you can't solve the problem with quote efficiency. That doesn't solve anything. In fact, it increases demand because it lowers costs. It's always nukes. Nukes. Nukes are the the single biggest uh, change humanity could make to adding yeah. to our energy supply if you can make them cheap and, and reliable. I mean, cheap and reliable right. is, uh, is a materials problem. But the problem, you know,
1: I, I think you, you were hit on the solution exactly because the the big new projects, the big $8 billion, oh, yeah. $10 billion, <sighs> 15 years, um, the government, there's just so many headaches. The EPA, I'm from the EPA and I'm here to help. Uh. Um, the public irrational fears, those projects just don't work and i think and you know also in the oil and gas sector we haven't built a new refinery since the 70s no not in america I, I, I don't yeah. i don't think people
0: understand what a problem that is oh it's um, it's well, what's worse than that we I mean, not only even built a new refinery in the last 18 months this administration and this is not a political observation because this 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 yeah. goal started under the republican administration have have accelerated at the push to convince refiners to switch off of making diesel fuel to make biodiesel. So we've taken offline about a million barrels per day of production capacity to make fuel for cars and trucks. And then when there's a shortage, we have actually less capacity. We have the physical capacity is the same, but biodiesel, we, but first it's much more expensive. There's not enough biological yeah. material to make enough biodiesel. So we took offline capacity. Then instead of expanding it, took, and he said, why did, Why did diesel prices go up and make it more expensive to ship goods to my home with Amazon? Well, because the government said, I'm going to pay you the refiner money not to produce diesel fuel. Right. This is is crazy.
1: There is. So another observation, another another company that I'm working on is not biodiesel. Biodiesel is generally soybean oil or fat oil, grease, that kind of thing.
0: But mostly it's virgin soybean oil or palm oil or something. Yeah.
1: Right. But there is a there's a different you can do renewable diesel from uh cellulosic, so sure. plants. Sure,
0: yeah. So yeah.
1: there's infinite corn and that kind of stuff. Wait, you can you can use waste a lot to of do waste. that.
0: But there's you know all the all the but it's expensive. It, that's that's, expensive. that's the point. I mean it's expensive and of course it's inherently inefficient. That's why it's expensive because what you're counting on is the low energy density of how you know plants grow. At very low energy densities, you have to use lots of land to produce the yeah. same gallon of uh, propulsion, propulsion fuel. You can use um, pyrolysis. Actually, Hitler did this in yeah. World War II
1: when we we bombed his uh, oil, so he was using pyrolysis sure. to make diesel for his army.
0: Yeah, um, sure, but well, pyrolysis of coal in his case primarily, but he yeah. he, he, could, he did some cellulosic. You know where pyrolysis began is a is a conversion of a, a, of either cellulosic you know, waste, but mostly coal. It's Canadian. Uh, hmm. the, the invention of, uh, of kerosene, produced by a pyrolytic, you know, heating up coal and refining right. it into an oil, uh, right. predates the first oil well drilled in Titusville. And in fact, in my book, I wrote that that's what saved the whales because once you could make kerosene, kerosene uh, was enough cheaper than you know whale oil, whale blubber, whale blubber, right. whale oil made from whale blubber is extraordinarily clean and efficient. The real kerosene was dirtier to burn than whale oil, but it was right. so much cheaper that right. you can trace the collapse of the whale hunt to the invention of pyrolysis of coal into a kerosene.
1: It's such an interesting observation that economic efficient businesses actually save the planet. So yeah. there's a book called Hans Rosling fact. It's called Factfulness. Yeah. It was on Bill yeah. Gates' yeah. list of books to read a couple of years ago. Yeah. So. He has 10 reasons why the world is better than you think. And all we ever hear is doom and gloom. And he talks about how, you know, so many millions of people have come out of extreme poverty. Um, Just, you know, there's less war. There's a lot of things that the world is not about to die. There's (laughs) We have problems. But the point is that and, and his point was the ironically, the way to save the environment is actually economic development. And his number was ten thousand dollar GDP. Once you get to ten thousand dollar per capita GDP, people don't want to live in filth and squalor, right? If you're in if you're in Central African Republic, you just want to put a chicken on the table for your family, right? You right. don't care about the environment and you're going to burn to burn the dirtiest possible wood to
0: cook the chicken. It was an interesting observation. Well, it, it's actually, you know, again, I'm self promoting my book. That's a that's a, a theme in in my book as well. And in fact, I would uh, I would re- change it slightly in this sense. It's all people, all all of history, all all people today want to live in a clean environment. It's not like mm-hmm. they don't know that that water and air pollution are bad. They don't know that right. burning dirty dung or, or wood is is uh, causes pollution. They know these things. They can't they can't afford the cleaner solution. Yeah. Wealth wealth saves the environment. Full stop. Wealth is what right. makes we can afford to pursue things we like, which is cleanliness, comforts and conveniences all cost money, require deployment of capital. You have to have less of your capital consumed by food and fuel to free it up for health and convenience. And the only way you get wealth uh, over history, there's only two ways to get wealth. It's just just a simple econ 101, it's also my book. You steal other people's money and land, which is most (laughs) of history, Literally, right. that's what conquest is about: right. stealing your time right. by not underpaying right. you, stealing your right. land, or stealing your hmm. your money. Literally, stealing your money. That's what most of history is about. Or you increase productivity, which is you get more output for less input. Right. Which is right. which is wealth creation. That always comes from technology. Technology right creates wealth. Wealth, the environment. But the the flip side to that. That's a great thing. Yeah. And education too, right? Well, you don't get, you don't get the technology without education. Right. Because you don't, you and I don't know who the next um, inventor of the, uh, you know, the invention of the rocket nozzle, the Venturi invention got got us rockets. We don't know who the, Mm -hmm. we don't know who the next person will be. We don't know who the the genius will be. We don't know what man, woman, what age, what country, but the more people are that are more well-educated that can spend their Time pursuing innovation, the higher probability is we get the innovation sooner. But it's very right. unsatisfactory to politicians. They want it. They want. They want a cafeteria solution to innovation that I get mm. to pick the innovation and the innovator and give them the money. But we know right. history has not worked that way. History works mm. with the you know, innovation bubbling up, coming from unexpected places. But you know, I rant. I, I mean, this is the whole thesis <laughs> of my book was. Innovation comes from technology, technology and education and knowledge. I mean, the universe is, in in terms of our civilization, is comprised of just three things, information, materials, and energy. And it's what we know about the materials and use energy to convert the materials into a useful form that generates Mm -hmm. wealth, generates comfort, generates protection, generates rocket ships, generates nuclear plants, makes cars cleaner, catalytic chemistry can kill pollution. But- it's not a satisfactory answer. People really want to—they to, really want the cafeteria choice. They say, "Oh, I'm NOV, and I'm not going to pick on NOV. I want a solution to the future." And if I say to right. a, a company like that, "What you should do is fund fund the education of people in domains other people aren't funding," since right. everything about energy is material science problem. I've been on this campaign to find ways to get people to increase. The amount of money going to universities and graduate programs for basic material sciences, mm-hmm. because if you're a bright person and you got an undergraduate degree and you decide I want to be a postdoc, what would you pick? Computer science where they're going to give you, I don't know, a hundred thousand dollar postdoc, or right. uh, physical chemistry where they get, if you're lucky, twenty thousand know, dollars. Fund right. those programs. Young bright engineers and scientists will go into those areas if because they like them.
1: Right. We like they, you want to go where the, there's quick money and develop the next app, you know, and make a billion dollars. Yeah. The idea of different types of energy, different types of, um, we're, we talk about all of the above, right? For energy yeah. policy. Yeah. Another organization I'm working with is something called the Carbon Underground. Um, <laughs> a friend of mine, Larry. That's why I never heard of
0: them, right? No, I'm, kidding. I'm kidding.
1: Yeah, it's very <laughs> down the down low. His premise is, you know, but the, the carbon were, and the greenhouse gases we're putting up yeah. came from, they're basically plants. Yeah. They got squashed by the earth for hundreds of millions of years, Turned, you know, and now we're putting it back. So his premise is let's put it back down in the ground sure. it, using nature, using microbes, mm-hmm. plants, you know, not, yeah. not just treat trees are great, but there's a lot more, uh, There's a, there's the, he says in, there's like a hundred thousand species. Yeah. yeah. There's much in more. Every bacteria. Species, there's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. 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 So that's their thing, and if you listen to their data, and they have some, they have some top scientists on their organization. It's like five percent of the cost. You you per ton of carbon brought down. If you just manage soil properly, um, you can do you can bring carbon out of the atmosphere for five percent of the cost of these other technologies that we're pursuing. Which sounds like pretty good
0: macroeconomic policies. They've actually <laughs> sounds like they've actually you, a twenty-fold yeah. reduction in cost sounds like a good idea. Uh, yeah, i would say yeah, that's yeah. A, a great understatement but you know we don't have, yeah. we don't have to debate the whether we should take carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere or not wh- what because that's a that's the cl- the quote grand global climate science debate the real issue is it is unequivocally the case that all of the carbon capture projects that are being funded right now are too expensive by a factor not of 20 but probably by 100 to be affordable and therefore a utter waste of time they won't. They won't get to if the solution is to scrub carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. That will will never get there. Doing that, so it's a complete waste of money. You're much better off funding scientists and groups like your colleague, if you want, and, and being patient. If, if that's the solution. Here's,
1: here's the other thing, Mark. We're spending a lot of money on this here in the states, and I don't want to badmouth it too much because I'm I'm <laughs> working on different technologies here, but um, the, uh, one of my colleagues at 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 work. Sent, showed me this chart of emissions and American emissions peaked in like 2005. Yeah, yeah of course. We, we've of course. been reducing yeah. emissions since 2005 okay. and I've heard you, you you have the numbers. Yeah, China and India are both exponentially growing. Yeah. So if we take out a teaspoon, they're putting in a
0: gallon. Exactly. Oh, in fact, let's, let's be real clear where we are right now. The increased coal burn in India and China right now that's mm-hmm. going on right mm-hmm. now over the next, this year and next year, that increased coal burn will wipe out all of the emissions reductions that the United States has achieved in the last decade. So the next couple of years, just the next year, next couple of years, they're going to add more CO2 than we've taken out of the app, you know, in terms of our reduction, you know, the, at great cost. Well, first of all, at great cost we spent, yeah, we spent, yeah. It, it, by my calculus, because I think people are being dishonest about what it cost us. Over the last 20 years, it's probably cost us a trillion dollars to do this, to, to reduce. Now, by the way, most of the reduction, the two thirds, came from the fact that, fracked gas is much cheaper than coal. So two thirds mm-hmm. of the U.S. reduction is the technology revolution in the shale fields. The shale revolution a decade ago. A, a third of the other what were, were DOE and other programs, the state programs to, force mandate more wind and solar, and that, that you know did something, but it cost. I'll, I'll use I'll use the 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 the, the non the non the, the direct numbers. Maybe half half a trillion dollars to do that, and in Two years China and India are adding more than that back because they're they're gonna they're increasing their coal consumption coal production right now by like 300 million tons a year so it's it's where do they get the coal they they, they mine it themselves and they and they import they do both so they were buying Australia. they were buying Australian coal but China's in fight with Australia politically yeah. so they're just increasing their own, own coal mining Germany's increased its coal burn and what they do because they want to use domestic coal they use their their crappy brown, coal, which is dirty and low energy density. So why is Germany burning coal? Well, because they did something stupid. They thought that they could so, you know, provide all their energy at that high latitude with crappy with sunlight and, and lousy wind with wind and solar. So so they've been buying Russian gas. Russian gas gets cut off. What do you do? You, you burn coal. Their they're, they're they're former
1: chancellors are the chairman of the board of the I, Russian gas. That's
0: crazy. You can't make this stuff up, but but your but your point is is there is the is there a right one. If you look at where the United States is in terms of what we could do and what we want to do, if, you know where the where the the quote, climate debate is irrelevant in my view, it doesn't have to be addressed to come to a common solution, is the world needs more energy to get to the point you and I talked about earlier to have more wealth. And the more energy has to be produced less expensively. No matter what one thinks about. Climate change. You need more energy at lower costs. If yeah. you want to emit less stuff of all kinds, that's all a technology uh, issue. We should be collaborating on that. We shouldn't. We shouldn't be squandering money on things that just don't work well. They're expensive. It's. It's. Mm-hmm. You know, it frustrates me because it's immoral. To your point earlier, that people in Africa that are poor, people in Asia that are poor, they're thinking about. They would like to live in a clean environment. They would like to have a car one day and air conditioning. Right, but they can't right. get there if you make their energy more expensive.
1: Yeah, and, and and Mark, there's two things I saw from space. One, and this this hit me on the. fifth, It was my fifth night in space. I was looking out, and I I could see people at night in city lights, and I thought, you can't tell there's people on Earth during the daytime unless you know what you're looking for. You, yeah. It's just you don't you don't see people, but at night you see them yeah. through city lights. Yeah. And then it hit me as I was flying over Africa. I'm like, man, there's no lights down here. There's a billion people there and there's no lights. Yeah. Just on the bottom and in the, in the very top corner, right? Egypt and the bottom of South Africa. Yeah, exactly. And so exactly. And so what, what you see is wealth, not, not population. And that was a really profound thing. And then I helped make an IMAX movie called a beautiful planet. It's a great film. Tony Myers directed it. Jennifer Lawrence narrated it. it. It's a great movie. But um, it's called a beautiful planet. It's a beautiful planet. Yeah. Like the earth is not getting destroyed right now. Right. <laughs> That's for that. Sure. There was two things that I could see. China is just a giant brown, smog. There's like amongst astronauts, you can never get a picture of Beijing because there's so much smog. My friend, Scott Kelly, got a picture. And we were like, dude, how'd you get that picture? And they had had some national
0: holiday where they stopped burning coal for a couple of days. Well, they was that during the Olympics? Because what happened is they shut down all the yeah. uh, coal plants in the in the penumbra of Beijing, especially the ones right. upwind. Yeah. you yeah. must have been during the Olympics. But they do
1: that every once in a while oh, yeah. for
0: Mao Zedong's
1: birthday yeah. or whatever. Yeah.
0: And,
1: and India, India was really yeah. smoggy. Yeah. But other than those two places, I never saw pollution. Now that, that's just your eyeball. You know, That's not scientific. It's anecdotal, but you could see a lot of pollution and this was back in 2015 yeah. and in that exponential rise they're burning so much more today yeah. if you ever fly to be i'm, I'm not going to go back to beijing because i've been very critical of the regime because they imprisoned <laughs> a, fr- a friend of mine uh. a journalist accused her of being a spy because she has an australian passport to the point you just made yeah. um but it's like you're landing on mars when you land there it's just this orange outside the airplane uh. And the other one I saw that was really horrendous um, was, and I'm going to have this Washington Post guy that just wrote an article about it, the Amazon deforestation. Yeah, uh, And that's been accelerating, unfortunately, because of the government they have now. That's bad. Like climate change is going to end within a, within a few centuries. There's not going to be, you know, there, there's, we're not making any more dinosaurs. So. Climate change is not forever, <laughs> but but species extinction is. Yeah, right? I agree.
0: And, and and one of the and you, know what, you as you well know, a lot of the forest clearing is not just this government because it's very hard. There's a lot of rogue uh, uh, mm-hmm. activities and farming in in uh, in Brazil, and it's all about clearing forests to grow uh, things like soy for biodiesel because you can do it cheaper there because the growing season, and also because you can do it illegally, illicitly. And you, right. you sell into the global markets so and nobody knows where the oil came from.
1: And that's an interesting point. I never heard that. Yeah. They're they're growing soy in these cleared. Or palm. Because I know they're
0: also there's also cattle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cattle because it's high value. And again, you, you do these things illegally off the book, so to speak. And in right. international right. traders, I mean, one of the, the the biggest uh dirty little secrets, literally dirty little secrets, is how all commodities are traded through through um, uh you know black trading pools where you can't you can't trace the cobalt or the palm oil right. <clears throat> right. and, and you end up driving your virtuous tesla or your biodiesel car right. but you're actually causing environmental degradation somewhere but your your observation and, I, and i'm jealous because i when i remember i was first pictures i saw pictures from space and as a at that time a young aspiring astrophysicist <laughs> and i'd already given up on being an astronaut but and then I gave <laughs> up being <laughs> an astrophysicist, but it, it was the interesting thing was that this question: is when you look for life on other planets, with um, with radio telescopes or optical telescopes, the idea of w- what we know is we we can't see evidence of life on Earth from space. But for light, light especially, you are at low orbit. If you go out, you know, to twenty thousand miles of Lagrange, twenty-two thousand miles of Lagrange orbit, or if you're at Mars looking back at Earth. You, you can't see the pollution you can't what you can right. see is light you could see right you could see the lights the artificial light mm-hmm. or artificial right. light in the in the radio spectrum if you looked in that spectrum you'd see our our radio signals don't look natural which is why you know when quasars were discovered and pulsars everybody thought maybe you know it's a sign of intelligent <laughs> life because they were pulsing right it didn't seem natural until we figured out what right. it was but it, right. it, this is uh to, you know, to, I, I'll, I'll have one one thing I'll say one one scientific bone to pick about fossil fuels and we'll run out of the hydrocarbons. We're never going to run out of hydrocarbons on Earth. There's quantities that exist uh, far beyond what humans will use. If we we we'll, we'll, really? we'll stop using them before because we have better stuff before we run out of the stuff. But as evidence, I'll I'll cite one thing as a, a fellow space junkie: as you probably know, when the Cassini probe went by uh, Saturn's moon. Uh, by uh, Titan, what it mapped out was that it rains natural gas on Titan. Mm-hmm. There are oceans yeah. of natural gas, liquid right. methane it, it, there are right. rivers of natural. by the, by the best estimates look like several hundred feet deep oceans of liquid natural gas. So right. Since the last I checked, dinosaurs didn't have space travel and go there to die. Right. It begs the question, which we know the answer to is, you know, whiskey, tango, foxtrot, why is there why is there <laughs> natural gas? That fossil fuel on Titan, and on, right. I think on Ganymede, but Titan is the big big Kahuna here. Right. And the, right. the answer is it's it's formed naturally. Um, so does oil form naturally? Yes, we actually know oil can be formed naturally. As a, do we know it's formed from bio, biodegradation of of plant matter? Yes, that too. So one of the great uh, experiments the Russians launched years ago. The astrophysicist Tommy Gold wrote his book Deep Hot Biosphere on this subject before he died. Was the Russians tried to determine by drilling deep enough back to your geothermal aspirations to go down to the you know through the crust to the mantle to find whether or not if you could and you had to be very careful about cleaning everything to the surface could you find natural gas or or deep oil that had no biological signature there was no no biological material in it and you know it's hard to do that because it gets commingled as it comes up the pipe and the surface but that was right. the goal to prove whether or not there was natural gas being formed abiogenically deep within the Earth, well, we know it can because it exists elsewhere, and we actually have that's since right. shown that natural gas can be formed abiogenically. Whether geophysically, that's the predominant source of gas or not, is does doesn't matter. The access to oil and gas, not to beat this to death, is determined by technology, not by the underlying resource. We even know in the shale fields. So the sort of the, mo- the molecule ratio, the how many how many oil gas molecules are in the rock versus how much do we get out? It, you know, mm-hmm. we're probably getting, depending on whose estimates you believe, anywhere from five to fifteen percent of the molecules out. More likely, wow. more likely on the average, it's less than ten percent of the molecules are being released the way we do the extraction. Could we do it differently to get say three times as many molecules out? Get twenty percent out? Sure, mm-hmm. I, c- I can. I mean, I can point you to technical literature that can show you that we can, we can in theory, get it out, but it would cost more. So this is, we're, yeah. we're back to the argument of, well, how do I make it cheaper? Well, I'll, I'll find technology, some innovation that'll make it cheaper. That might happen before we get fusion. In fact, I would take that bet in a heartbeat. We're gonna find a way to get more oil and gas out of rock before right. we make fusion practical. Well, we have EOR, right? Well, we already enhanced, have that, sure. Enhanced oil recovery. <clears throat> which,
1: and that's like frowned upon, and yeah. you can't even say the word. Yeah. And we, so, what it is is you take carbon dioxide yeah. and you pump it underground, yeah. and that pressurizes the well, and it pushes more oil and gas, and gas yeah. out. Yeah. Right, and uh, and the it, carbon
0: dioxide stays there, so it's win-win. So you get, sequ- but the, but right now, the EOR the, uses natural forms of CO two. So the the trade would be collect right. industrial CO two from power right. plant. Right. That But environmental community does not want to do that because it sounds like you're promoting oil and gas whereas exactly what you're doing is promoting cheaper energy at a net lower in, uh carbon footprint why wouldn't you like right.
1: that my oil and gas take is look as long as we're using it we should use it as efficiently as possible think, and you should get, get every drop out of the ground yeah. that way yeah. you you need less wells sure and sure. you're and you're not just wasting it yeah like like the keystone pipeline well there's already a keystone pipeline but they were going to uh, add add, add one right. yeah. yeah
0: yeah
1: um To cancel that is just insane. Now, I know. So now, now Canada ships its gas to 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 China, um, and and you have to use crude by rail. You know, know. you burn more energy to transport the crude. And if, in other words, if you're going to
0: use oil, you should use pipelines because that's by far the most efficient way to do it. Cheapest, safest, cleanest, most efficient. In fact, on that same thesis, if we want to reduce oil use in transportation, if, if that's really our goal. I mean, if we're honest about it and we want to spend your and my money and everybody else's money by collecting money from taxpayers, give subsidies to people to drive a vehicle that uses less oil, like a battery powered car. It doesn't use zero oil as we've discussed, it uses oil to make the batteries. Well, why wouldn't you give the same amount of money? In fact, I'll, I'll, I'll do it differently. Why would you give half as much money in subsidies per unit of oil saved for somebody who bought a more efficient internal combustion engine to your point? If the goal is to reduce oil use, and I could get yeah. twice as much oil savings per mile by subsidizing a person buying not an EV, but buying uh, the most efficient Toyota, the most efficient Honda internal combustion engine, we don't do that because we're not being honest about the goals here. That's a little bit of the problem. Here's here's my thought on that. I've been because I've been thinking about my next car.
1: I'm looking at a plug-in hybrid. Well, that's but um, so that's a that's a no-brainer.
0: Yeah. I have you, a, get, yeah. you get 20 miles. If you're just yeah. driving around town, yeah. it's free. Yeah. Well, right. Free. You, you're you're, you're gasoline free while you're driving short distances around town, right? I have got solar panels. So I'm charging from uh, my. We're going to follow the solar panel food chain to 80% of true. silicon it, made it, on coal fired It comes China. from
1: Africa and China. I know. I know. So it's, but my point is <laughs> you, the the amount of batteries you need is much less. I'm
0: 100. Need, I've been trying yeah. to convince my daughter in law to buy one of the new Volkswagen, I think the one of the best. Hi, plug-in hybrids is the new the new Volkswagen, mm-hmm. um, just in terms of its quality construction and right. it, I hundred percent. So if you are commuting low in a, in a downtown area, you can plug, you, you don't care if your car takes, you want to you want to use an inexpensive overnight charger because the right. superchargers are expensive. Uh, right. It's a perfect solution. And not only gets you yeah. off grid driving around town, it takes particular any kind of pollution out of the congested area. When you want to go on a longer trip, you have a gasoline engine. The energy density of gasoline yeah. is literally five thousand percent better than the best battery. It's just so and much batteries, yeah. And I'm
1: going tomorrow. I'm going to uh, Air Force Base in Florida yeah. to give a speech, so I got to drive a ten-hour drive. So you, you'll have gasoline. Um, You're fine. And yeah, so that I think that's the solution I want. It's and and yeah, a lot of times the moderate solution, rather than doing the extreme solution for a lot of problems in life but you mentioned the, the car i'm looking at it's a volvo it's a pretty cool car well, but
0: volvo's nice too Ch- Volkswagen. Ch- chinese owned by the way but go ahead volvo's chinese owned yes. i did not know yeah. that. i thought it was swedish no it, well they're still there but china bought it right i mean it was china in, bought near it. bankruptcy uh i think 10 years ago you can google it and find out the i forgot the name of the owner and they, they right. they've wisely done what uh tata did when he bought um when he, when he bought Jaguar, it, they left the mm-hmm. company alone and capitalized right. it so it can keep innovating. So it's still, right. still Swedish innovation, but it's Chinese owned. The thing there. Yeah. Well,
1: the um, Volkswagen, I just read literally right before I came on the podcast, yeah. uh, they're going to do an IPO for Porsche. They're going to spin off Porsche Ah, so smart. that they can, so that
0: they can get money to make EVs. Yeah. Because EVs but, lose money, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They need more money to yeah. They need more so, to subsidize rich people who can buy EVs, which I think is
1: incredibly ironic. But go ahead. <laughs> so Volkswagen sold ten times as many cars as Tesla yeah. last year. Yeah. And their market value and is, Tesla is ten times as valuable. So the yeah. market cap per vehicle yeah, I know. is a hundred times as
0: much. That's crazy. Well, that, well, for Tesla to buy these batteries from China, uh, it, it, it's it's this the, the, the market insanity will. Will end. It won't last because, in the end, right. markets value profits and sales. But it's a story, and and Elon Musk has right. had an incredible accomplishment. The other thing I would point to. So years ago, my colleague and I, Peter Huber, who you know, he and I wrote the book, The Bottomless Well. Peter, Peter died last year, not from COVID, but he died too young from a mm-hmm. bizarre form of uh, the, of uh, Alzheimer's attacks the prefrontal mm-hmm. lobe and so Anyway, he and I wrote a book, and then we wrote an article for. Forbes magazine, uh, oh gosh, I don't think, certainly after the Prius came out, and we wrote an article about power semis and hybrids and pointed out that the revolution in power semis, which is different than these are the semiconductors you can use to control power like electricity, portended a revolution in transportation, which would be hybrids, that hybrids would be the solution to the future if you want, want mm-hmm. better transportation, which right. in fact, it, by the way, Forbes at the time, didn't believe us. They went fact checking and claimed that nobody else was making them, only Toyota. I said I, they're doing them in stealth in anyway. I, I, <laughs> I, I'm with you. It's a it, it's a logical solution. It radically increases efficiency. Uh, it uses the best features of the two technologies, uh, you know, batteries and internal combustion engines. It, it's right. It's you know, it's a, what I would we call a silicon wrapped internal combustion engine. You get all you get all the be- benefits of both worlds. It's slightly more expensive. Than a regular internal combustion engine car, but it's a right. lot cheaper than an electric vehicle.
1: Right, and as the price of gas goes up, your no, you're, your you're, your capex is higher, but your opex is less. And it, of
0: course, if you're in Europe, as <laughs> your price of that. electricity goes up, you're going to be using the gas. So, <laughs> <problem>. <laughs> yeah. yeah. On that note, we've uh, we've got we've gone we probably should <laughs> <laughs> wrap it up. We probably should wrap it up. This is uh, we didn't talk hydrogen. No, nah, you know, I, you know, you <laughs> that's you, a whole nother podcast. Yeah, the hi- hydrogen for non spaceship stuff is, uh, you know, liquid hydrogen is a wonderful fuel for rockets, uh, but uh, yeah, it's a pretty miserable fuel for uh, on Earth. It's ex- expensive. And again, back to materials, magic, magic catalyst to make hydrogen cheap, great and uh, cheap to store. In the meantime, yeah, I'll, 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 you probably know this factoid, but all of, the, all of North America's hydrogen production facilities that exist and are planned. All the announced and all the planned ones together, all combined, will produce an amount of energy equal to about three Haynesville natural gas wells. Wow, three wells—that's
1: North America. in in, in but globally, um, I'll,
0: I'll give you in Europe. Europe is. I'll give you expanding. Tw- twenty. I'll, then I'll give you twenty Haynesville wells. To get, at, right, Europe, right, right, right. I mean, the amount of hydrogen you can produce in any kind of time frame that we can afford, is is so trivial. It it it's arithmetic. It just defies imagination that there's all this bizarre excitement over something that's utterly irrelevant to changing the future just irrelevant yeah anyway it's interesting that's a i like how hydrogen. A i mean it's a proton yeah. it's, who doesn't yeah. love protons yeah <laughs> i'm a fan <laughs> <laughs> Especially flying rockets terry thank you for uh for the uh giving me the uh, latitude to wander across a lot of territory with you. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it was fun. So as always, permit me to close by saying that if you're enjoying these podcasts, spend a few minutes to rate us favorably, of course. That's what we all want in the usual places. And as I've said many times, uh, feel free to send me questions and comments. I will again eventually do a a monologue, a Q&A monologue answering questions. So with that, and until next time, This is Mark Mills signing off for Infinity and Beyond for this episode of The Last Optimist.